Welcome to the sag After Foundation's Conversations podcast. The sag After Foundation believes that contributions made to our culture by performing arts are not only valuable, but also essential. And so we provide free programming and services like this podcast to support them. If you'd like to learn more about the sag After Foundation or access the full library of our conversations or make a donation to support this podcast, please visit sagaftra.foundation. That's www.sagaftra.foundation. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SagAfterFound. Thanks, and enjoy the conversation. What a treat I have for you this afternoon. Here we go. Appearing in over 80 film, television, and stage roles, my guest Judy Greer works nonstop, captivating both critics and audiences alike as she moves effortlessly between comedy and drama. She is currently making her Broadway debut alongside Katie Holmes and Norbert Leo Butts in Teresa Rebeck's comedy, Dead Accounts. In movie theaters now is her latest comedy, Playing for Keeps, in which she co-stars opposite Gerard Butler and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Judy continues starring in her own Yahoo series called Reluctantly Healthy, which she started in December of 2011. Each week, this webisode gives special tips and advice on how to stay healthy while on the go, working long hours, and traveling away from home. Greer just wrapped production on the remake of the 1976 film Carrie, directed by Kimberly Pierce. She will co-star as Miss Desjardins, the gym teacher, alongside Chloe Grace Moretz and Julianne Moore. She will also return voicing Cheryl on the fourth season of FX's animated hit series Archer, which became an instant cult classic. You're excited about that, right? She's returning to Cheryl. Um, she's also currently in production on Arrested Development, in which she is reprising her role as Kitty Sanchez. Judy co-starred opposite George Clooney in Alexander Payne's Academy Award-nominated film, The Descendants. This year, Greer has also starred opposite Ed Helms, Jason Segel, and Susan Sarandon in Jeff Who Lives at Home. Greer's numerous film credits include Love and Other Drugs, opposite Anne Hathaway and Jake Gyllenhaal, Love Happens with Jennifer Aniston and Aaron Eckert, 27 Dresses, co-starring with Katherine Heigl and James Marsden, 13 Going on 30, opposite Jennifer Garner, The Wedding Planner with Jennifer Lopez, and What Women Want, opposite Mel Gibson and Helen Hunt. That is only a fraction of her film work. No stranger to the small screen, Judy appeared in a multi-episode arc on the much-anticipated new season of Two and a Half Men as Bridget Schmidt, ex-wife of Ashton Kutcher's character, Walden Schmidt. Additional television credits include the ABC comedy Misguided and guest appearances on Modern Family, How I Met Your Mother, The Big Bang Theory, It's Always Sunny in, Cal oh, it's always sunny in California, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and Californication. On stage, Judy starred in Paul Weitz's play Show People for Second Stage opposite Ty Burrell. She is the first woman to receive the John Cassavetes Independent Spirit Award from the Denver Film Festival. Please welcome the very busy Judy Greer. Thanks for coming in the rain and the mucky weather. Yeah. So here we are. First of all, welcome to Broadway. Broadway Thank debut. You. How does I it know. feel? Yeah. Aww. Um, thank you. It's really, um, now it's really fun. 
like if you would have asked me two weeks ago, I was crapping my pants. <laughs> and I don't want to say a swear word for posterity, but um, yeah, I was really scared and I was really nervous, but it's been so, I don't know, it's been really fun. I turned a corner. I was like really scared. And then I decided that the scary thing is, is actually fun. Like it's fun to have that adrenaline. It's fun to have that nervous energy. And also my co-stars are awesome and they've all done it before. So, well, let's talk about them. You're working okay. with a great cast. I know. Norbert. Yes. Leo Butts never changed his name. Isn't that great? I know. I know. He's named after his dad yeah. and, um, Norbert. <laughs> And obviously the butts part, but um, yeah, he didn't change his name. He's great. He's done it so many times. He's won two Tonys and like, I think a bunch of drama desk awards. Yeah, he's, he's so talented. I mean, and he's got such a great work ethic and his uh, sort of ability to rehearse without any judgment about himself or what he's doing or what we're doing in the room was really helpful to me. I, I was so nervous going into rehearsal, like that I had to go in and know what I wanted to do and have all my choices made. Cause in movies and television, you don't rehearse. So that was like the scarier part for me in the beginning. Great director. Talk about oh, Jack yeah. O'Brien. Jack O'Brien's amazing. He's um, kind of like Yoda, like every day he has this great piece of information that you want to write down and, and remember forever. He just is really inspiring and he's, he's really honest. And so when he says good things, you believe him. I, I find often like that in, in some of the movies I've worked on and a lot of the movies I've worked on, people, I feel like they're lying to you all the time or you, you hear them say really good things to other people, but then turn around and say a terrible thing. And, and so I, I don't know with Jack, I really believe everything he says. Talk about the role. What attracted you to her? That it was offered to me, honestly. That's good. <laughs> I mean, if I'm being honest, uh, I was totally shocked that I got offered this part, um, in this play by Teresa Rebeck with Jack O'Brien as a director and, and, and Norbert starring in it and Katie Holmes starring in it. Like I couldn't believe it. And I kept thinking that they were offering me the understudy role, which I would have been <laughs> super happy to do too. But, um, also, I'd never been on Broadway before. So, and then on top of all of that, it's very against my type, this character. So that was really shocking to me. And, and I thought like that, um, Jack must really like me. He must really trust me because to play someone who's this character, her name is Jenny and she's just a real bitch. I mean, she's really tough and she's from the upper East side of New York and I am not, I'm from the Midwest and she's very cold. And, and so to be cast in a role like that as an offer, I, I, I like, I fight for roles like that. Like I beg to audition for roles like that. So I was really surprised. So when did it all come together for you? Was it in the rehearsal room or when the audience was added into the mix? There was a couple stages. I feel like it, I, I had like, there was like a week in the middle of rehearsals where I was like, oh yeah, I totally know what I'm doing now. I know how to do this. And then the like last week in the rehearsal room and the first week in the theater and the first week of previews, I was like, oh crap, I lost it. I, I don't know what I'm doing. And I lost it again. I felt like I had it and it was there and it was good. And then it was gone. And then I settled in, which I'm a slow person in general. So I think that's really normal for me to just be slow to get it together. And actually like I've been working with this really amazing vocal coach again, cause I have never been on Broadway before. I was terrified I was going to lose my voice or just be standing on stage screaming for two hours, which I didn't want either. Um, 
so she told me that sometimes you don't want to peak too fast. I mean, she could have been saying that to make me feel better. I'm, <laughs> but it made sense to me at the time, like that you have to keep discovering what you're doing on stage. No, I love that. Cause you said normally you're slow, but film and TV so fast. I know that's why it's weird that I've worked so much in it, I think, or, or I just don't have time to think about it too much, but yeah, it is very fast and there's no rehearsal and, and you just show up and you, act and then you're done and you drive home and then you figure out what the scene's about and you're like crap <laughs> that's what I was supposed to do I wish I could do it again yeah and now like I'll have a show tomorrow night and I'll try something tomorrow night that I had meant to do on my Sunday matinee yesterday that I was like oh I wanted to get I wanted to do, operate on a different word or whatever it is you know and now I get to do it that's what's so awesome. Because the last time you were on stage was you were at second stage yeah. in Paul White to show people. Yeah, yeah. What was that experience like? Um, that was, it felt really different because, um, well, there was four of us and it was a new play and Paul wasn't here. He was in LA, he was working. So we didn't have the writer around and I love Paul and I'm friendly with him. And, but it like, it was nice to have Teresa there to explain things to us. Like we would try so hard to figure things out. And then finally we'd be like, what did you really mean by this? And then she'd be like, well, you're doing it totally wrong. This is what I wanted. So it was nice, you know, and it was nice to have like Jack to direct us, but then Teresa to sort of guide us and tell us like, well, I was thinking about it maybe being this way, or I don't think he's so angry there. I didn't see that. So that was different. Not having Paul there for show people. And also, being off Broadway, even though it's very, very close to Broadway, <laughs> um, it felt a little safer. Like I felt like less afraid to fail. Another great company in that show. Who'd you have? Ty Burrell? I know. Deborah Monk? I know. And Larry Pressman. Yeah. Deb Monk. Um, I learned so much from her. She was so awesome. And, and Ty and I became good friends. And then he became Phil. And now everyone loves him as much as we all did. And that's so exciting. It was great. Yeah. We had a really good time. We didn't really understand the play that well, but we had so much fun doing it. I like Which that. I think is okay, right? Is that okay to say? <laughs> Sorry. I talk to a lot of actors on stage and after the camera's off, they're like, I have no idea what this play is about. Yeah, I really, I'll say that on camera, I still, I don't know what that play was about, but I did love doing it. I had fun. And actually it was interesting because Teresa Rebeck, I had a drink with her after a show last week, I think. And she said, um, do you remember meeting me backstage at show people? And I was like, yes, but I kind of didn't because I met a lot of, I mean, I, it, you know, and so she was like, I, what I love so much about you is that this play was so weird and we didn't really know what it was about, but you were up there and you were so positive and I could tell you were having so much fun. And I was like, that's exactly how I felt. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm having the best time doing it. Great actress. <laughs> so what do you love about doing live theater? I love the audience. Um, I, I, I thought I would love bowing at the end and having everyone clap, but actually that's the worst part. I feel like such a jerk up there just like bowing and I don't know, it feels weird, but I love, I love walking on stage and, and getting a sense of, of the energy of this giant room. And, and I love when we screw up. It's kind of my favorite thing. I, I think it's so exciting when someone goes up on their lines or like, Oh, we had the craziest thing happen on, Maybe it was my Saturday matinee. There's this very, very dramatic moment where Norbert like yells, like he screams at Katie and then the doorbell rings and the doorbell didn't ring. 
and I, that's me. I'm supposed to come in when the doorbell rings. And so the doorbell never rang and I'm backstage and I'm like, Oh my God. And I know you guys probably all know this and it's happened a million times, but it's like really exciting. Yeah. You know, I mean, of course I'm backstage while it was happening. And after the act break, Norbert stomped off and he was really irritated, <laughs> but, um, but it's fun. And then you're wondering like, what are you going to do? You know, like another actress went up on our lines and we were all on stage and you're just staring at each other. I mean, it gets real. Like when you're there and no one knows what you're like, shit. It's like noises off. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you do? The doorbell didn't go off. You're waiting to go on. What happened? <laughs> so, well, I didn't, I just had to stand there like covering my mouth so that the audience could hear me laughing backstage. But Norbert's line was, he's like, could you try? He screams at Katie and then ding dong. So he screams his line and there's no doorbell and then there's no doorbell. And then he says his line again and there's still no doorbell. And then he's like, wait, shh, I think I hear something. <laughs> do you hear something? And Jane, how do you shell? When the doorbell rings, she goes off to answer the door. Well, he's like, I think I hear something. I think I hear something. And Jane's like, I think I hear something too. <laughs> but then by this time, the stage manager's assistant had already run up the four flights of stairs to tell the sound guy. And then the doorbell rang. And then I walked on stage and everyone was so happy to see me. <laughs> to be out of that moment. <laughs> it was that's great. A, that's a great live theater. You know, I know you just can't plan that. I mean, in a movie, they'd be like, cut, what the hell? But yeah, in this, it was, it was really, it was cool. It's like, keep going. You got to keep going. I love it. I want to talk about some of your current projects. Okay. Tell me about the Yahoo series. I know I do this funny little web series that was like a total accident. I, it's called Reluctantly Healthy and um, they're like three to four minutes long. We do one a week. Well, I mean, I do a bunch and then we air one a week on Yahoo and, um, and it started out where they hired this web expert at my management company, which is Principato Young Entertainment. And they hired this guy. They hired him from Yahoo, yeah. coincidentally. And, he, and so they said to their clients, you know, if you want to pitch anything um, to do on the Internet, we're all trying to get into this weird world of the Internet now. So I had this idea, Reluctantly Healthy, and I had another idea, which I'm still really into, but they didn't think it was funny. But I totally did <laughs> where it was like a little news show. But anyway. I'm not giving up on it. But they really liked this and this idea I had because I thought um, I could get someone else to pay for me to learn how to like work out and cook and be healthy. So it was awesome because I got Yahoo. Basically, I just said like ask a trainer, like how do I work out? And I have like, you know, health experts come on and tell me like how to eat better and how to cook certain foods and like what to shop for at the supermarket. And it's really selfish. I just wanted to learn this stuff myself. But I figured if I did, then other people would too. And, you know, people think that like in LA, you know, everyone has like a ton of money or has a ton of access to this stuff. And like, we kind of don't, you know, like I don't have enough money to have a chef or a trainer or anything. So, so if I can get something out of it and then share it with people. Yeah. Like Robin hooding yeah. health information, but <laughs> So how do people find it? They go to Yahoo and type your name in? Yeah, you can type in my name on Yahoo or Reluctantly Healthy, and it'll take you there. Great. Yeah, it's pretty, it's been fun. I've been doing it for a year now, and I really like it. Um, yeah, I was thinking maybe of trying to turn it into like an actual television show, but I don't really know if I need to because I think it's kind of good the way it is, yeah. like a little thing. Little segments. Totally. It's weird, though, that it's it's like just me. I'm not acting. I'm just being me. But it's getting less weird. I'm getting more used to it. Good. The real Judy Greer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about um, you just wrapped production on the remake 
of Carrie. I know I did. So what what is it like taking on an iconic role that's such pop culture? I know. Well, what was it like? It was um, it was fun. I mean, it was. I never thought of it in those terms. I didn't, I tried not to like get too, um, heady about it because I mean, I did rewatch the movie and I did reread the book and, you know, got prepared in that way. But, um, I just, you know, I can't be Betty Buckley. I'm just not her. I'm very different from her. So I had to just like bring my own sensibilities to the role. So I didn't want to like imitate her, but I wanted to emulate her. Is it done in the seventies or is it updated? No, How is it done? Tell us. It's present day. I don't know what I'm allowed to say. So don't okay. tell anyone what I say. Okay, guys. But, Everything um, stays here in this yeah, room. Okay. Seriously, I'll know if you... Um, so we, we do it present day and there's like, of course, a whole element of like cell phones and, and, you know, the crazy gym scene where she gets her period and, um, and there's like almost no nudity in the movie because they want it to be PG 13. And because Chloe Moretz, who plays Carrie is only 15, it'd be totally creepy if, you know, so you can't do that. Um, so those elements are different, but now we have this like added thing, which they didn't have in the seventies, which is like cell phones and that everything's being recorded and now putting on the internet and Facebook and like all that stuff. So really what's cool about our version of it, um, why I really wanted to do it. And I begged Kim Pierce to cast me is because she tells this story like from the point of view of bullying, which when you think of the original Carrie, it is a movie about bullying, but, but we didn't think of it that way then, you know? So now bullying is a really big deal and, and, you know, it affects so many kids and the rest of their lives and kids have taken their own lives because of bullying. And so I think the stakes are a lot higher right now. And, and, um, I liked that interpretation of that story. Where did you shoot on location? Where was it? We were in Toronto, but I think we were supposed to be in the original town. I forget like Maine or something, but we shot it in Toronto, which was awesome by the way. And now I love Toronto. So it was a fun shoot for you. I had a great time. Yeah. Yeah. It's always fun for me because I never am um, at work every day. So I get always a lot of opportunities to learn about the cities that I'm working in. Great. Yeah. Your new film that's in theaters right now is playing for keeps. Yes. Now, is this a female director? No, he's Italian. Wonderful. Okay. Gabriele Muccino. Yeah. So Gabriele. Yeah. Right. But sounds like a girl name yeah. in our country. It is. It's not in Italy. turns out. So what was it like working on that? Talk about the role you play, because you, you have your scenes opposite Gerard Butler. Yeah, I know. Um, I know, well, right? I, my poor husband. <laughs> um, I, uh, I play a very weepy recent divorcee who's, who's trying to get the attention of, of my son's soccer coach. Um, at first, I'm trying to get his attention so that he pays a lot of attention to my son, but then I try to get his attention for myself, too. <laughs> Easy job, right? Yeah, well, thankfully in the script, yeah. Um, he, yeah, he, he's getting approached by a lot of the local soccer moms. So um, he's having a hard time in this small town where he's just moved to. This is Gerard's character. And so all these women are basically throwing themselves at him, which like, duh, can you blame us? But um, uh, yeah, so that was really fun. They, I forget if they cast my role and the actress fell out or... It was very, very last minute situation on this one. I got a call from my agent also represents the director and Gerard Butler. Oh, and so my agent called and it was like one of those 
like they don't have one of their characters cast and can you go in this afternoon to Denise Chamian's office who's a casting director in LA for the movie and and put yourself on tape and I was like yeah and the thing is that my agent and my manager know about me is that I will audition for anything like I used to always joke that I'm audition only like I don't I feel weird when I get a role based on a meeting or even just an offer because I feel like I like my director to know what I'm going to bring to work and it makes the first day of work much easier if we all know what I've done you know and what my take on the character is so I was happy to go in an audition and I think the problem was that there was a lot of actresses who wouldn't they wouldn't put themselves on tape for this role and it's a great role and I thought it was a great role. So they wouldn't put themselves on tape for it. They wanted an offer or based on a meeting and they couldn't meet with him because he was in Shreveport doing prep for the movie. And, and so, yeah, I got this great role in this cool movie with these great actors. And, and so there audition for stuff. <laughs> okay. I want to go to, I want to talk about auditions. How many actors out there, don't like to audition only because it's that freaky thing where you don't know, you know, what it's going to be like. Is anybody scared to audition out there? Okay. I mean, yeah, me too, by the yeah. way. <laughs> no, but, but you love to audition for things. I love it, but I'm scared of it. But I, but that's like the feeling what I was talking about earlier about being on stage that's so scary, but I like the adrenaline, but it's scary and it's scary to put yourself out there. So what advice would you give to the actors sitting in the house now when they are asked to go into auditions for something? How should they handle themselves? I'm sure you're all really good at what you do, but it's that frightening thing where you say to yourself, I wish you could see me in a better light than going into a room with a bright light on or looking into a little camera and then they say, you know, read these 20 lines. I know it's really, um, almost inhumane what we have to do, but that's what we have to do. That's our job. Like our job is more of that than actually acting when you think about it. Cause that's the hard part. Um, my advice, I, I don't know. I've tried a lot of different things with auditions and I've always been really good at it, but, um, I've never really like always memorized my lines, which I think a lot of actors do memorize their lines for auditions. And I do try to, but then I get really nervous and then I can't. So I hold on to my sides and I try to know the material really well. And, and I have a friend that I work with, um, my friend, Sean Gunn, who we went to college together and studied acting together. So he's usually not busy and he'll go over stuff with me. And, and <laughs> that was the mean thing to say. No, nope. It's good to have a friend like that, though, right? It's good to have a not busy friend. <laughs> um, but help and, you get a job. <laughs> no, I'm going to have to start giving him a commission. But um, he's actually, I credit him for why I got The Descendants, because he like really worked a lot with me on my audition for that movie. But I think... Um, I think I try to uh, I try to ask always for another chance after my first initial read of the material. I always ask if I can do it again, and I always ask for notes. And sometimes people are like, "No, it was fine." And you're like, "Okay, great," and then you leave. But for the most part, I think they'll usually let you do it again. And if you know, it's always good to have a second chance or to show them something different or to ask if they want to see something different. And I'm always very suspect of a director who doesn't want to direct me. You know, I mean, if you're figuring your scene is what, like two minutes long and they can't let you do it one more time and they can't give you one note to see if they can direct you or not. Like, I mean, sometimes you just need a job, but at the same time, like, really? That's kind of what I think, director. Really? Yeah. You're not going to tell me like one thing. You don't have one other idea. 
don't work with them. That's the answer, right? I mean, sometimes you have to, but you know, it's nice to know that the person's going to give you a chance or wants to know like what you're really, if you can take direction. Well, you've worked with some amazing directors. Let's get into that. What okay. do you look for in a great director? Um, I look for someone who, uh, who, can understand how to communicate with me specifically and what works for me um, and who takes the time to figure out how to talk to me. I'm not one of those actors that likes to get like, I like to be told very like straightforward direction. That's just me. Like tell me to be louder and I'll be louder. Like don't try to get me to figure out how to be louder. Like I'd just rather you say that. So I like a director who takes a minute to tries to figure out how to speak to all of his or her actors so that you get, things done faster, you know? And I never mind a line reading either because I'm still going to say it different. I'm still going to say it my own way, but we can all go home faster if you just tell me what you want. That's why your, your shoots are short. <laughs> Maybe, <right>? yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Judy is returning as the voice of Cheryl. How many people watch Archer oh, on FX? Wonderful. If you don't, you totally should. It's so good. And I would say that even if I wasn't in it. So this is the fourth season, right? Yeah. It's so, a miracle. How <laughs> it's did, so naughty. I can't believe we're still in the air. <laughs> how did Archer come about for you? I was doing this. Oh, I was in Arizona shooting this lifetime television for women movie. Um, and it was over pilot season and I was so excited to be away from Los Angeles for pilot season. Cause I'd had like a bunch of crappy ones and, um, and then I got this thing from my agent who was like, oh, this is an animated pilot for FX. They offered it to you. It'll take 15 minutes to record and we'll just do it, you know, on your day off. And I was like, fine. So I didn't even really think anything about it because it was like not much money, but I really was trying to get into voiceover, you know, so I would just do anything. And it was offered to me to do this. So I got the script and it was like the morning of my recording session. And I read the script that morning and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is really naughty. Like, there's no way. It was like a almost offensive to me. And that's saying a lot. And so I, so I <laughs> thought like, well, I can't not do it now, but I'm, this is never going to get picked up. It totally got picked up and people totally love it. And I totally love it. And it's so fun. Well, how different is voice acting from regular acting for you? Do you put yourself somewhere else? No, I don't really. I like it because um, I think I I think just because there's usually it's just like me and the sound engineer. And when I do it in L.A., it's this guy named Jody and he's really fun and he has a mohawk. And and the guys uh, who make Archer are over the phone in my headset in Atlanta. So I feel so free. Like, I feel like I really can just scream and jump up and down. And when I have to punch someone, I like really punch the air and. I don't know. I don't know if it was live action, if I would do all that, because I think there's a part of me that would be nervous about all those people watching me act so crazy. Because I would think that'd be the challenging thing. They don't record together. Each, yeah. each actor records separately somewhere else. Uh -huh. But you had the director or the writer in your yeah. ear? Yeah, yeah. Adam Reed writes all the episodes and he is usually there. If not, it's um, this other guy, Casey, who like reads with us on the page through the, you know, in my ear. And then usually, excuse me, we read through the scene once and then I'll just do a bunch of different versions of each line. 
and it's really easy and it's really fun and um i would highly recommend it <laughs> but no, just it really it. Yeah. just fell into my lap i mean i'm so grateful i had no idea it was going to be like this and then we went to comic-con like our first year we went to comic-con and there was like 500 people there to see an episode and talk to us the second year we went there was 1500 people it was crazy we had to like get this whole other room it was wild it's a great it has a great cult following a lot of hilarious things happened to her and bizarre. What is your favorite moments of your character on that show? Oh, gosh. Well, I just recorded one last week that um, turns out I have a submarine. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> I love reading the scripts and finding out. I'm like, oh, I'm super rich. That's awesome. Oh, I have a submarine. Oh, I have a brother. Oh, my parents are dead. Oh, that's too bad. Like, I like um, I like learning all these weird things about my character. But now I, I like that I... I enjoyed having my own um, train, but now it turns out I also have a submarine. I love that. The most bizarre thing anyone. that's happened to her is what? The most bizarre thing is sexual. Turns out she really likes to be strangled while she's having sex. And so one of the scientists like builds this machine that she can use for that if she needs to. That's so, that's going to be recorded forever in the archives. <laughs> so how did you record that in a private booth by yourself? <laughs> yeah, I just make a lot of like, Ah, ah, harder, harder, you're not squeezing hard enough. That kind of stuff. But it was, thank you. My parents would be so proud. Um, my husband has two kids. And before we got married, we went to Comic-Con that first year. And we brought the kids. And I was like, he said, can the kids watch Archer? Or can they watch the, the episode that we screened for the audience? And I was like, I, you know, it's really naughty. It's like a naughty. He's like, well, I let them watch The Hangover. And I was like, I didn't see The Hangover. So I don't really know. But that seemed pretty naughty. So, okay. And then they watched it. And it was like this episode where like someone is going number two in the bathroom while my character is having sex and getting strangled. And there was like a lot going on. And my, my husband was like, what the hell? Like, why didn't you tell me? I'm like, I did. I told you. I didn't know if you want the kids to watch it. Oops. All right, once again, let me see hands of how many people watch this show. <laughs> how about how many people I are going it. to watch it now? So <laughs> right they up. all go up. So you're also going to be back on Arrested Development, reprising your role of Kitty Sanchez. How many fans of Arrested Development? <laughs> Great show. So good. Yeah, I just um, actually flew back. I, so last Monday was a day off, and I flew back to L.A. for like 12 hours to work on Arrested Development. It was so fun. What was it like? Oh, it's so awesome. It's so fun because when we did it the first time around, it was so long ago, I kind of don't really remember because thankfully I've had a lot of jobs. And so I sort of kind of forgot like how crazy it is over there. Like how Mitch Hurwitz, who writes it and created the show, just stands in the room with you. You have three cameras pointed at you and you just talk until they say stop talking. And, and then they cut and then you just you know, there's like a page of dialogue. It doesn't totally make sense to memorize your lines there because they change everything anyway. So that's nice if you're a little lazy. Um, you just go there and you kind of have this outline for what the scene is, but you just just make stuff up. It's just talking and talking and talking. I, I, my character asked the other um, character I was talking to if she'd ever been in a K-hole and that was like an improv, but Mitch thought I made it up. But I told him I didn't. But I wanted to take credit for K-Hole. But um, 
anyway, it was really fun. It was fun to just like spew out all this weird stuff, whatever was in my mind that um, came to me. And he gets really delighted by improv. And so that stuff is really cool. It's fun to be there because it's like an anything goes set. And my character is so crazy that anything really does go with her. So is she easy to find again? Yeah, surprisingly, she was. I thought that would be hard, or I thought maybe she's grown up a little, or maybe she's changed a little. And honestly, like the first two episodes that I did, um, I was like, I think, I think I want Kitty to be a little more mature. And then when I went back, I was like, I don't actually. I want her to be just as crazy. <laughs> it's a crazy cast, too, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, we haven't really gotten to see one another a lot because our schedules are so crazy, and everyone's all over working on all these different things. So, like they. they They've had a hard time scheduling and there hasn't been, I haven't seen, I saw Jason, um, but like that was it. Yeah. So, and some other secret people I can't tell you about. Like I said, everything stays here. <laughs> well, you're no stranger to the small screen. You appeared in a multi-episode arc on the new season of Two and a Half Men. Yeah. So who is Bridget Schmidt? Talk about her. She's Walden's ex-wife who um, kicked Walden out of the house and wanted a divorce because he was so immature and then changed her mind and decided she wanted to be back together with Walden. But then Walden didn't want to be back together with Bridget. And then I think the last time I was there, Bridget didn't want Walden back, but Walden didn't want Bridget either. They wanted to try to get along and start a new company together. But I haven't been back in a while because I'm here, which is a bummer, but I'd rather be here. But it's, you know, I wanted to see what would happen with them. Because you were on Two and a Half Men the first time, what, 2007? I guess so, yeah, with Charlie. So what was it like going back with a whole new leading man? It felt really different. I mean, I mean, I was in the second episode with Ashton. So the general vibe on set was like, like this giant sigh of relief, like this whole crew, all of these people, all of these actors like now had a job again. So everyone was so happy. So it was like a whole different show because when I was there with Charlie, it was like everyone loved their job and everyone was having fun and we laughed and it was a good time. I did two episodes then. But then coming back after all the drama with Charlie yeah. and knowing that they were all, no one knew if they were going to have a job and no one could really try to get another job. People didn't really want to get another job because they wanted to be loyal to Chuck Lorre. But at the same time, like, you know, you have kids and bills and stuff. So it was really a fun time to be there last season because of, because of that, like, Oh great, we're back and it's good and it's funny and we have fresh blood and Ashton's so awesome and he's so generous and he's this big party in his trailer every Friday night after taping. And like, it was kind of fun. I mean, it was really fun. Well, didn't Charlie party too? I didn't. I mean, okay. <laughs> no comment. <Okay. laughs> Clearly, yes, but <laughs> I think there was a private party that was happening. But you and Ashton, see, stays here. You and Ashton have quite a history, too, because didn't he produce your yeah. TV series? He produced the TV series I did called Misguided, which loved was, it. I loved it too. Ugh, they canceled it like immediately. Um, although like, I'm always like, I think it would have made it on the air if it would have been on now, but maybe it wouldn't have. I don't know. But Ashton produced that. And, and so I'd worked with him and he did an episode of Misguided in order to try to get, you know, 
people excited and to watch the show. Apparently I wasn't enough. Hello. <laughs> Just kidding. I really wasn't, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so I worked with him as a, I guess he was my boss and he was in an episode. So it was really fun to go back. And I always wondered, although he would never really say on two and a half men, if he had anything to do with me getting offered that role of his ex-wife. Okay. But Chuck has always been really good to me and he's always really liked me and he's the one that brought me on with Charlie and when they had uh, this meeting with me to talk to me about playing Bridget, I was like, you know, I get recognized like once a week from your show. Yeah. Like, it's going to be weird. People are going to know. And he was like, eh, it's fine. I was like, all right, cool. I just wanted you to know. I didn't want you to regret it. No, I love how they I was like talking myself out of this job, (laughs) but it didn't work. How they bring actresses back to play two different people in a series. I know, I know. Well, I guess that happens. I never did the law and order thing, but here, I think, didn't they make a rule where like you could only do one per year or something, one per season, because so many people were doubling up? I wanted so bad to be on Law and Order, but then I chickened out um, because I love watching it so much. I was afraid if I was in it, like I didn't want to see how the sausage was made. Like I always just wanted it (laughs) to be like my special thing that I could watch and not know about (laughs) behind the scenes. So the (laughs) only one left is what SVU, right? On Law and Order. So you have your chance of doing that. I know, but like, I love it. I don't know if I want to watch it. I mean, be in it. Cause then when I watch it, I'll be thinking about like, I know what's behind that wall. It's craft service. (laughs) Like, I don't want to (laughs) know. Cause that's how I felt when Oz was on TV. I remember watching Oz the first season. I couldn't watch it with the sound on because I thought it was such a freaky show. Yeah. (laughs) And then my partner played a lawyer and he said, look at the sets. They're all plastic. The doors to all the cells they live in, everything's plastic. And they run up the stairs and and they shake the stairs shake. You can really see. Yeah, and I was like, oh, now I get it. Now I'll turn the sound on. Right, right. It's like when you make a horror movie, you stop being afraid of horror movies. Exactly. But so, Ashton is also a friend of yours because he bought your dad a motorbike? It's crazy. Yes, he did. Uh, he, he uh, when we were shooting the pilot of Misguided, um, we were having a really, really fun time making this pilot. And he asked me one night, we were shooting late this night scene. And he was like, if this show gets picked up, what would you do? And I said, I would buy my dad a Harley Davidson motorcycle because he has always wanted one. And so he was like, if this show gets picked up, I'm going to buy your dad a Harley. And I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> like that's ever going to happen. Cause one time when I did this movie with JLo, she told me I could have one of her Gucci handbags and she never gave it to me. So <laughs> I'd been her. lied to before. <laughs> um, she was like, they sent me two of everything. So you can just have one. I was like, awesome. Never got it. <laughs> Never got it, JLo. Anyway. Um, we'll tweet that out to her. Yeah, she owes sure you a bag. I'm sure she probably watches these. So, she <laughs> um, so when Ashton said that, I was like, okay, yeah, totally. You should buy my dad a Harley. And then um, they picked up my show for mid-season. They flew me out to New York to do the upfronts and um, meet all the advertisers. And Ashton's assistant at the time gave me an envelope when I was at this party and I opened it and it was from Ashton. It had a picture of a Harley Davidson motorcycle in the envelope and the card read, um, call this number to pick up this motorcycle for your dad. And yeah, it was pretty incredible. I was freaking out. I was speechless for a really long time. And then I didn't know how to thank him. And I sent him loads and loads of thank you notes. And I used to save all of my, um, fortunes from all my fortune cookies and I made this thing for him with all my fortunes and I don't know he had eventually I think had to tell me to stop sending him thank you notes <laughs> um how do you thank someone for that I you don't keep know. doing it. You keep doing Just it. Keep thanking until him. they say stop. Yeah. So anyway, that was probably the weirdest and most awesome and generous thing anyone's done to me in this business or for me. It was, it was really, and it wasn't for me. That was the coolest part. That like my dad was the one that like 
got this awesome motorcycle and, and his dream of having a Harley came true and he rides it all the time around Ohio and I worry about him, but he's having the time of his life. So that's great. Yeah. It was really cool. And Ashton's really close with his family. So I think maybe that struck a chord in him or something. Yeah. I want to ask you something about growing up earlier. You were going to be a ballerina, right? You studied for 10 years? I studied forever, but I was so terrible at it. And I did um, I did think for a second maybe I could be a ballet dancer, and I'd just been doing it for so long that it seemed like I had to. But um, I was never... I, I, once I got... You get to a certain level with dancing, and there's probably a lot of dancers out there where you just really know when you're not as good as everyone else, and you know like what the future holds. I mean... Like, what are you going to do if you're not a great dancer? Like, you're never going to, like, maybe get little parts. You're just never going to work because dancers, like, the great, great dancers, like, have a hard time getting jobs. So if you're yeah. kind of mediocre. And I was never, like, into modern dance, which I felt like was, like, where some of the ballerinas who weren't so great at ballet kind of transitioned into doing modern dance. And I didn't understand it. And I wanted to be a ballerina. So if I wasn't going to do that, um, I ended up dancing and musicals in high school and I can't sing at all. So <laughs> I would just dance in the background and that was kind of fun and it was fun to be on stage and and I was finally like not going to ballet every single day after school. Instead I was going to school and I was starting to make friends and that was just so much more fun and it was a better environment and I liked talking and even singing in the chorus even though I was terrible. It was so much more fun and the girls weren't as mean and it was just like no one was as cranky as a ballerina oh my god they don't eat <laughs> you said it yeah so so i liked eating and i liked talking <laughs> and um that's why i ended up kind of not dancing anymore so you shifted to acting yeah because <laughs> you went to what was it um DePaul I went University? to the theater school at DePaul University, yeah, which is kind of a weird story how I even ended up there. I, I didn't know I wanted to be an actor, and and this girl who was also in all the musicals with me in high school, she was a real bitch, and she, um, <laughs> she was like a total friend of me. We were friends, but very competitive, and she told me one day she came to school and said that she was auditioning for this theater school in Chicago over the weekend, like this coming weekend. And it was like a really hard school and they only accept 10% of all the people who audition. And I probably would never get in because I wasn't like a real actress. And I was like, whatever, dude. And I went home and told my mom this story. And my mom was like, what did she say to you? I was like, that it's like a really hard school and I probably wouldn't get in because I wasn't like really an actress. And she was like, oh, you're auditioning for that school. And I was like, seriously, it's this weekend and you have to fill out all the crap like two weeks before and she's like don't worry about it just go write an essay and you're gonna go this weekend and audition and I was like oh fine but she said you don't have to go but you have to audition so I did and I got in but so did this other girl <laughs> so I waited to decide if I was gonna go because I was like I don't want four more years with this girl like I want to start over I want a whole clean slate <laughs> I want to be like in a movie where I get a makeover and go and create a whole new person when I go to college because I was in such a huge high school in the suburbs of Detroit and I just wanted something very different. So this girl decided to go to a different school. So I was like, well, I'll go try it out. And I got there and it's a conservatory, which I didn't know at the time because I'm a 
idiot and I didn't read all the literature about it. So I go there and I'm like, all I'm taking is acting classes. <laughs> like I'm not learning anything, but it was really fun. <laughs> and my classes were really small and we got so much attention and like, it was so fun. So every year I was like, I'll go next year to a real college and then I'll go next year to a real college. And also there was a com like, it was competitive because they, cut our class. I don't think they do this anymore at that school, but they cut our class in half after the first year and then they cut in half again after the second year. So like it was so scary and competitive and dramatic. And when, and I was on warning both years, of course, like that I was going to get cut. So it was kind of like a defense mechanism. I think like I wanted to get asked back, but if I didn't, then I could say like, well, I didn't even want to go there anyway. And I didn't even like it, but I did <laughs> end up getting asked back both years. And so I stayed and graduated and it was really great. And I'm really glad I did that. I, I wish I would have learned, I wish I would have like taken more academic classes there. Cause I feel like a lot of people in the world know things that I don't, or I've had to teach myself, but I act in for a living and that's exactly. what I trained to do. So that's pretty good. What happened to the other girl? I don't know. Okay. Isn't that weird? Someone asked me that recently too. And I, I don't, I don't even know. I know where she went to college and then we just lost touch. I mean, we didn't stay in touch. We had a friend in common and I lost touch with that girl. Gotcha. So I don't know, but I've never seen her on my television. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> She's seen you on the TV. Oh, and yes, she has. <laughs> don't think I don't think about yeah. that. <laughs> That's great. It's like going back to your high school reunion as a big star. I wasn't even invited. Yeah. Are you serious? I'm assuming they didn't have one because yeah. I'm like, I'm pretty easy to find. But yeah, they didn't have one because I have my friend Alfredo who went to my school too. And he moved out to LA and he owns restaurants and he got picked on in school and so we were very excited to go to this high school reunion because we were like we're going to show up and show them oh. but no there was nothing I love that I want to get into some of your films because okay. we've been there's so much 80 projects it's 80 crazy. she's done but first I want to tell you she was discovered like three days after school out of school or something it was a little it was a few days before graduation actually yeah I was um, I was in Chicago uh, I was about to graduate from college and you know we were doing a showcase and so I like picked my monologues and I was ready to go but I was walking down the street to go to work I was waiting tables and I was wearing this blue raincoat and this woman like ran across the street and stopped me and she was like oh my gosh like that raincoat's so fabulous and I was like thanks she was like um what do you do and I said well I'm about to graduate from acting school and she was like I'm an agent I was like great <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to all of you. <laughs> I apologize. It's the worst story ever to tell actors. But I was like, I need an agent. She was like, awesome. I'll be your agent because you seem really cool. I'm like, I am. <laughs> and um, anyway, she ended up leaving the business and joining the FBI. Isn't that cool? It's <laughs> like a lot of Turner story being discovered at Schwab's out in California, those famous stories. Yeah, You're I'm basically like Lana Turner. <laughs> well, I wonder if you'd worn a different color, which would not even stop you if you'd worn yellow. I, I mean, yeah. this jacket is pretty fabulous. Obviously, I still have it. Yeah. Well, the, there's a second part to my jacket story is that this woman sent me on some auditions, and the first audition she sent me on was for this movie called Kissing a Fool. And in my audition, I wear I wore my raincoat, the same raincoat, because it was raining that day in Chicago again. Again, spring. Ugh. And so anyway, I wear my raincoat in the audition and I just went on tape 
And I took my raincoat off as like part of my audition scene. And then they called me back when the director and producers came to town and it wasn't raining that day. So I didn't wear my raincoat. And they were like, you had on this really great raincoat when, when you were on tape. And I was like, yeah, it was raining and now it's not. And they were like, well, we really love that coat. And if we cast you, do you think you'd be willing to wear that jacket in the movie? And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yes, of course I'll wear the jacket in the movie. Yes, yes, yes. So I got the part and I wore the jacket in the movie. So you got cast because of that coat. It's not me. It's the coat. It's magic. I should auction it off or something. You should. Or no, keep it. I'm yeah. sure it's a lucky coat. I'm sure I'll need it again. Not, Did you love making? That was your first film. Was it scary? Daunting? It was. It, I had no idea what I was doing at all. And you know, there's this that one weird story is that there's this term. I'm sure you all know. I didn't at all. The, like a banana. Like you don't walk like because of the camera angle or whatever, like the lens. And you you're walking straight to your mark, but they're like, oh, you know, don't walk right to your mark. Like just do a like banana to your mark. And I was like, okay, I had no idea what that meant. And I was like, okay, so I walked straight to my mark. And the guy, you know, was like, oh yeah, can you just like do more of a banana? And I was like, yeah, no, totally. That's totally what I didn't I do that. Anyway, I walked straight to my mark again, and finally the guy was like, Do you know what that is? I was like, I don't. I don't know what a banana is. I mean, I know what a banana is, but I have no idea what you're talking about. And and then I learned early on just to say, like, what does that mean? What is it a curve? Mean? Is it a yeah. curve walk you like a banana, like, right? Kinda, yeah, you, you literally like walk like you're a banana. You walk like in the shape of a banana instead of two. I don't know why you have to do that. I still don't understand. I didn't learn that stuff. Um, but there's these weird things because of the camera and the lens, I guess. I gotcha. So second film was Jawbreaker, right? Uh, I said, second film was this like crappy little indie that never came out with Jamie Kennedy. Um, but it was really fun to make. And we shot that in Kenosha, Wisconsin. So that was my first time being on location, Okay, which was crazy. Like we were all 21 years old on location with per diem. It was like, yeah, um, it was an interesting experience and I learned a lot, but it was not a good movie and, um, it never came out thankfully, although you can probably find it. I think it's called stricken. I've okay. never seen it. Um, and then the third movie was Jawbreaker, and that was when I had gone to Los Angeles from, so I stayed in Chicago and I was doing little things here and there, there. And, and I did a play at the court theater there, which was super awesome school for wives. And, um, and I almost got fired from that play. Actually, they hired, so <laughs> jerks, um, they, they cast me because the court theater had a reputation for having a lot of older actors do the play the main roles there and they wanted to get like some younger actors the art director um, artistic director of the theater wanted to get some more younger actors so they cast me in this role and it was I think personally it was good casting I don't know how great of an actor I was in the part but like anyway it rehearsals weren't going well and I wasn't doing well and they like took me aside and said that like we're gonna hire an acting coach to come in and work with you so that you don't get fired because he wants to replace you with this other actress. And I don't know if I was just so young and dumb. It didn't really bother me. I, I was kind of like, whatever, like I want to be really good. So cool. Like don't fire me. And, and, oh, and the guy also, the director was from another country, but I forget which one. And so the artistic director of the theater said, also, can you try to maybe dress a little bit more like, like nicer when you come to rehearsal? 
And I was like, well, we're just rehearsing. Like I can wear jeans and a t-shirt. And he was like, well, I think it might help if you wear like a dress. You like did some makeup, like didn't wear your glasses, like wear contact lenses instead. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Cause I was thinking I was an artist and I just graduated from theater school and I'm doing a play and it's real and it's art. But it was the same thing. I had to like dress pretty for my director so that he liked me and didn't fire me, which he didn't. But anyway, after that, that was a tangent. So then I went to LA to go to the premiere of this movie, Kissing a Fool, raincoat movie, and I got cast in Jawbreaker. Fun making that movie, Jawbreaker? So fun. Yeah. It was so fun. I That was an accidental casting too because I went there and I, I couldn't get an agent in LA to actually represent me, but it was pilot season. So there was a woman who'd come to our showcase out there who liked me and she said she would send me on auditions and get feedback and see how people were responding to me. And so she sent me on an audition for Jawbreaker and I basically booked it in the room, but only because it was a Friday night and they were starting production Monday and they hadn't cast my role yet. So they were screwed. So like I probably would have gotten it regardless, but I mean, they needed to cast somebody and, and Rose McGowan wanted to play both parts. She asked if she could play my part and her part. And they would just like do like <laughs> Eddie Murphy makeover on her. And, and they were like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so anyway, I went in and got that part and stayed and I never left LA after that. You have a theatrical angel that sits on your Seriously, shoulder. Seriously, it's terrible. No, it's I mean, great. it's great. I'm thrilled and I'm lucky, yeah. but it's not, yeah, like that was a really, that was a lucky, it's like right place, right time, I yeah. guess, you know? Well, I want to move on to Three okay. Kings. Yeah. That was your first time you worked with George Clooney. Yes. Everybody remember Three Kings, that whole opening scene that she, thank you, right? That look. <laughs> yeah. That, oh. yeah, that was the first scene. The first time you see George's character, he's, um, I can't really say making love, but he's, <laughs> we're having sex together. And so, yeah, that was my first sex scene in a movie and uh, my first time in a big kind of huge movie like that. And, and, and my first time meeting George and and, and that was crazy too. Cause they flew these, they flew like five girls out to Arizona, um, to audition for the director. And, and then we were all supposed to get in a van and go back to the airport. And so the van pulls up to the hotel and all the girls get in the van and the director's assistant was like, Judy, can I ask you a question really quick? And he whispered in my ear, like you got the part. So we, we don't want to send you back to the airport cause we actually need you to stay here and start rehearsing. And I'm like, what? So the, one of the girls like leans her head out of the van and she's like, are you coming or not? And I was like, I'm not coming. I'm staying cause I got the part. <laughs> she was mean anyway <laughs> so she was mean on the van ride there I really had to go to the bathroom and she was like you can hold it until we get to the hotel anyway I know right <laughs> so anyway the van goes away with the other actresses who didn't get the part and I the director's assistant walks me through the lobby into a hotel room into the bathroom of the hotel room and there sitting is George Clooney waiting to start our rehearsal and I was like, what is my life? What is happening right now? And he's like, hey, hi, I'm George. Nice to meet you. Pretty crazy, huh? I'm like, you have no idea. You have no idea. So what was it like? You get to do your first movie with George Clooney, and it's a love scene. 
I know. Well, thankfully, when we were rehearsing, we didn't rehearse like that part because that would have been too much for me on that day. We were just like in the bathroom and then Nora Dunn's character like barges in on us. And so like we were just in the bathroom and she barges in on us and and we started rehearsing like that section of the scene. But um, it was crazy. I, I, I was terrible that day in rehearsal because I was just like, what is happening? How am I here? But like Nora Dunn and George Clooney and, and like David O. Russell, which I was like flirting with disaster was like one of my favorite favorite movies. I saw that movie and I was like, I want to be movies like that. And then I'm working with this guy. It was so cool. So what was George like? George took you under his wing, didn't he? Sort he was of? so nice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was just so sweet and, and so kind and he, he's the same. He's exactly the same. He was always that way. He, he's just so nice to everybody and really like stands up for people who are getting treated poorly and he takes really good care of the crew and really good care of his other actors. And he's so mellow that like, it was never a problem for me, but I saw him working with other like very famous actors and difficult actors. And you just can't be a jerk around him because he won't allow it. Yeah. And it's cool. I mean, he's like the president of Hollywood. <laughs> and he should, he should be. be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, we got to work with him again in one of my favorite films, The Descendants. How many yeah. people saw The Descendants? Oh. Brilliant. This woman, brilliant. Thank you. It was three scenes you had, right? Yeah. So yeah. this was the hardest audition you ever worked on, wasn't it? It was because Alexander Payne is my favorite filmmaker, still is, thank God. <laughs> um, that that I got this part is like such a miracle to me. I um, I loved him since Citizen Ruth. I mean, his first movie, I, I saw yeah. that and just blew me away, Laura Dern in that movie. I was like, she's not afraid to be ugly and raw and crazy. And that's kind of how I want to be. So... I mean, acting, not in real life. Um, so I, so I was excited to watch the career of this filmmaker, of this man, and like not a dud. Like he can't make a bad movie. So when this audition came up, I was really freaking out about it, and and I didn't think I would get it. But I thought if I can just impress him, mm -hmm. because I believe if you give a good audition, it will it will come back to haunt you in a good way. Like you, you may not get the part, but you won't be forgotten because honestly, like casting directors need to have good actors that they can bring in because you make them look good. So when they know they can call you and if they even think you're not maybe totally right for the role, you're going to audition. You're going to give a great audition. You're going to make the casting director look good and you're going to like give the director like, wait, I didn't see it that way, but maybe that's interesting. So my goal for that day was just to impress Alexander Payne. So that he would remember me for something because that was, that was what I thought I would get would be something down the line. Yeah. And that's actually what was told to me was she nailed the audition. She was amazing, but it, if it's not this, it's something. So I was like, cool, my work is done. And then, um, it was right before the holidays. I remember a couple of years ago, it was right before Christmas and I went home to Ohio and hung out with my family for Christmas and went back and literally the first phone call that my agent got in January, January 1st or 2nd, whenever we all went back mm -hmm. was it was Alexander Payne calling to ask for my phone number so that he could call me on my cell phone and offer me the role in his movie. And that has only been done one other time with, um, 
M. Night Shyamalan called me himself to offer me the part in The Village, which I think is classy. Oh, yeah. It's cool when a director calls. It's like, that's the way it should be, you know? Because he, it's just like, I, I think it bummed my agent out because he loves to tell me when I get a part because I scream and cry. But um, <laughs> I still do every time. <laughs> but um, but it's just really like when the director calls and offers you this role, it feels old fashioned, you know? It feels like you have a special connection to the part, to the material, to the director. Like it makes you want to, made me want to work harder. Was the toughest scene the hospital scene for you to shoot? Um, I guess so. I, I think, I mean, only because we shot it over two days. Um, and it was hard because, you know, you can't totally control what's going on in your life when you're acting or when mm. you're auditioning. And, and I was, when I auditioned for this role, I was, I had just broken up with someone and it was like, breakup and I was really upset and so the crying came really easily for me you know when I went into that room I I was like really geared up to cry and I found that very easy and and then when I shot the movie which was then in the spring so this is winter and then in the spring I totally met my husband and had fallen in love with him and we were just dating but I was like I'd never been happier in my whole life and and so then I had to go and cry and be so sad but but that's why it's awesome that I went to acting school because, yeah. you know, you learn how to do that and you learn how to figure out how to do it even if you're not feeling it. You learn how to act happy when you're really sad. You learn, you know, you guys know. So it was so it was hard to do that. But then then we got to the end of the day and we didn't finish it. And we still had to turn around and do other stuff. And so then we had to come back and do it the second day. And the second day was harder because I was just like, oh, I just want to be done. Like, I want to not have to feel this way anymore but then I was like but I get to do it again with George and Alexander and that's so cool too so it was fun it was it was a really cool it was a really great experience to do that he was one of your favorite directors he's very yeah. hands-on he, he stays very close to the camera doesn't he with yes. crafting scenes yes he does he's always in the room with you and I really love that I love that feeling Spike Jones was that way too on adaptation he mm -hmm. he likes to stand in the room with the actors it's so much nicer and I feel like you you can even if you have to if you, even if you have to cut and they have to fix something that takes a few minutes longer or they have to turn the camera around or whatever to like to can keep that mood yeah to turn first to your director and not to the other actor for for that feeling of like, did I get it? Didn't I get it? Like so often, you know, the director's like off in some other like faraway land in Video Village and like they're like, cut, and you've been crying and they're like, cut, and then you're like. You're waiting for a response. Waiting, like, did I do you know, right, right, and like the yeah. crew's like, okay, and they're doing their thing and the other actor's like texting and you're like. <laughs> <laughs> anything anything can I get a Diet Coke I don't know I don't know what to do with myself so it's nice when the director's there and you can just turn right to the director and you guys can have like your your moment or or not or whatever you get that sense of what what you've just done and what needs to happen again for the next take if you're going to go again all that stuff no I think it would just be safe that you're in this beautiful safe environment mm -hmm. cocoon you know you're all on the same page so when they say roll yeah. you know you're all on the same page and like sometimes the director will be like okay we're going again action and you're like why like yeah. why are we going again you know not like that it's a big deal I'll go a million times but like is it something I did was it a lighting thing was like the booming like yeah. I, I just like to know why so that I either do if you were happy I'll just do that again but maybe you're not 
So I want to ask you about crafting a character. I guess you're never going to find that stuff out unless you work with a really great director. Yeah. Crafting a character, do you work from the inside out or the outside in, or is it different? I like outside in. Outside I feel in. like I know, when I know what a person looks like, I totally judge a book by its cover. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but I think when I know, like, if I know the things that someone says and I know what they wear and what mm -hmm. they look like. I feel like I have a sense then I can start to sort of like fill in all the blanks, but I don't know. I always, I, I enjoy having my first conversation with the costume designers of jobs. Cause then I can kind of get a sense of like, cause the costume designers already been meeting with the director for months now. Mm -hmm. So they really have like, they've really figured out like what this person wears. And I think when you know what someone wears, you kind of, have a sense of who they are. Like in, I did this movie Elizabeth town and it was really important that my character to me, for some reason I wanted her whole wardrobe to be from old Navy because I'm like all my friends that are moms, they all shop at old Navy because that's where you get cheap baby clothes and they have cute clothes for you. So it's like, you know, I just like, that was like what I wanted from this character. And it was the same thing that the costume designer wanted. And Cameron Crowe who directed the movie was like, yeah, totally. That's perfect. So then I kind of was like, okay, so she's like that kind of mom. Like I know this mom, she's my friend. So I know where to start with that. He's a great director, Cameron Crowe. You had a great time, Elizabeth Town, right? I loved right? him. He plays music all the time, which is totally what you would expect, but he really does. He plays music throughout everything, so it's really cool. And he'll be like, what do you want to hear? I think he has every song ever made, <laughs> like on some kind of master iPod that came from space. I don't know. He's got everything. Yeah. You could be like, do you have this? They'll be like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's pretty cool. But that was with Orlando Bloom and Susan Sarandon, right? Yes, Susan Sarandon and Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. And a million other awesome people, but them. Um, you yeah. loved making that film, didn't I you? I did. I loved it. I loved working with Cameron, and and he's so cool, and he he's just like got this sort of like hippie mellow like mentality that that it's you know it's different than like some other directors like like M Night Shyamalan. I loved working with him, but he knows exactly what he wants. Like he's very specific. He gives you every morning in your trailer the storyboards of what he's shooting and that's what he shoots. So like you know exactly the shots that you're doing for the whole day. Whereas with Cameron it was like it felt kind of, you know, it's more like musical. It's more like it felt more um loose. Yeah. Cuz you work with Susan Sarandon again, on a yeah, recent film. Yeah, on Jeff Who Lives at Home. Yeah. Which I loved. I loved that movie. Um, yeah, it was fun to work with Susan again. And, and and you know, I've sort of kept up a little bit with her. Yeah. And she's just so cool. She's so sexy, too. It's fun to be around her. You could be her daughter. You have a great... You, I was once. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then her daughter-in-law. Um, yeah, I, I would love to play a bigger... We've texted a little bit about trying to find something more to do together. I'm keeping my eyes open. There was one thing that came up that she was attached to, but then when I said, are you really attached to it? She wasn't. So I was like, I knew it. They were trying to lure me in. Yeah. They do that. You know, you have to be careful. They say like, oh, this person's totally doing it, but they're not. So that's why I ask. I gotcha. <laughs> you mentioned Spike Jones, you know, for adaptation. Mm -hmm. um, you played a waitress. Yeah. Alice. Yeah. Sorry. You played the waitress, Allison. Yes. That. Yes. I and did. He was very much like you said, the same kind of director like Alexander Payne, very yeah. much in the room, very much in front of the camera. Yeah. I mean, Spike was more, he was less like detail oriented, 
um, he was really into our acting and, and the nuances of our acting. He was like less, at least my experience, I was only on set for a few days. So, mm-hmm. you know, my experience of it was that he was less consumed with like the chair and the set and the outfit I was wearing. I remember like every day I went to work, I had like a different waitress uniform, you know, and I'm like, what about continuity? He's like, who cares? Like if someone notices that you're wearing like a different dress in every scene, like who cares? That person's an idiot. And I'm like, yeah, they are <laughs> spikes, right. But then you're saying M night on the other hand with the storyboards, it's yes. all visual for him. Isn't yes. it? It's the look he of the film has the whole movie put together yeah. in his head and you know, and it's like word for word on the page. You don't improv, you know, the shots you're doing for the day. It's, it's really, it's, like, I, I don't know. I'm pretty easy. I like working all those ways. I enjoy that it's always different. And I liked knowing, especially with that one, because it was like a bigger movie. So it was nice to know every day, like exactly what we were doing. Cause sometimes you would go there and you would just like sit in your trailer all day. We'd put on the corset and the wig and the makeup and everything. And you just like sit there and you're like, what are we doing? Like, when do I go to work? But then you would take your clothes off and go home because they were really waiting for this like one beautiful moment or they were trying to get this like specific color or this specific performance or whatever. So, you know, and they're paying us to be there. So we just have to be there. So you can't really ever complain about it. Yeah. You worked with another great horror director, Wes Craven. I know. I wish that movie would have been more successful because he's awesome. He's, I love that movie. Oh, good. Yeah. I I had so much fun making that movie. And we shot it forever. And there was a lot of different versions of it. But it just was so fun. I mean, if you're going to do a horror movie, you do it with Wes Craven, you know? Like, he's the master. And he was fun. And he really does yell more blood. Yeah. And um, the scene where my character gets shot in the head, there's like my brains are on the ground. And he wanted more brains. And the brains were made of dried up pineapple chunks yeah. so you could eat them if you wanted to. <laughs> in between, in between takes, right? I did eat a little of my brains. Just more brains, more brains. Because <laughs> Judy's eating her brains. Yeah. He really is the master. <laughs> he is. He's really good. He's good at making suspense. And, and I had a fight scene with Christina Ricci, which was like my only ever fight scene. And that was so cool. It was really fun to do that. You also got to work with Mike Nichols. I did. He came to my play last week. Did he? Yeah. He was at my play and he waited backstage to say hi to me. And I like, I was coming down the stairs just thinking I was leaving and I saw his face and I was like, Oh my God, I couldn't believe it. I was so touched. Yeah. I worked with him on like his only bad movie that he ever made. (laughs) I think it's called what planet are you from? It was Gary, Gary Shandling. Gary Shandling and Annette Bening and John Goodman. Yeah. Yeah. So what's it like working with Mike Nichols? It was awesome. He was so cool. He's like, I don't know. He's suave. You know, yeah. he calls me kid. He's always like, kid, come here, kid, do this. And actually there was like some dramatic, I, I got the part because I was shooting three Kings at the time. And there was like a fight. I don't know if you guys heard about it at the time. There was a fight between George Clooney and David Russell a rumored fight. I was not there for it, but they brought me in to audition for this movie, mostly because I think the casting director was like, tell me what's going on on the set of three Kings. Like Hollywood's <laughs> all a buzz. What are you guys doing in Arizona? I was like, well, I wasn't there that day, of course, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's kind of tense. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, the part I was auditioning for had one line. So they let me read for a different part that had many, many lines. And, um, and I got that part. 
just cause I don't know why <laughs> he liked me. So that. yeah, I got to, you know, they had to have like more than one line for the people, the actors to read. So I guess they liked me. And so they gave me the bigger part and, um, and it was just fun to be around him. And, and, you know, he's just done like, he tells stories in such a great way. And I think maybe like primary colors had come out before yeah. and it was just, I love that movie so much. I thought it was so good and such a, well-told story from such an interesting point of view. And so I just liked hanging out and listening to him direct. You talked about Alexander and Spike. So where does Mike fit in of that type of director? What kind of director is he when you're working with him? He feels like a little bit more like an old, like a, I, I felt, and again, I was only on set for a handful of days. I felt like he was a little bit more like Cameron Crowe, kind of a little bit more like Spike Jones, like a little bit more laid back and a little bit more interested in watching what we did, like what we came up with and like working around that. Well, I guess it has a lot to do with him starting as a stage director. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and and really like respecting and loving actors, you know, like, yeah. and, and being a performer himself, um, he really like, I think sort of delights in actors and yeah. in their process. You did a lot of romantic comedies. I did do a ton of those. Yeah. One of them is 27 dresses <laughs> Yeah, with Catherine Heigl on TV this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever watch Thank your stuff God. on TV? Do you watch it when you're around the house? No, 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 no. I don't ever. There's a lot of stuff I haven't even seen that I've done. But um, but uh, I was on. I was doing the Anderson live show this morning, and, mm -hmm. and Ed Burns was on as a guest. And so Ed and I were talking. And then when I walked in to my apartment after I turned on the TV, and there it was. And you switched the channel quickly, or you took a peek. I was like, "What part? Oh, this is was where she tries on all the dresses." And then I turned it off. I wasn't on. It was just the movie. So what was it like working on that film? That's a, such a, a popular film. Everybody loves that movie. I know. I actually really love that movie too. Um, I would love it way more if I wasn't in it. Like I would watch it a lot because, you know, it's one of those movies, like there's always movies that you love to just watch whenever they're on. But, um, but I think it's really cute. It was fun to work on it. I mean, Anne Fletcher, the director, she's mm -hmm. awesome. I love working with a female director because it's like there's weird. I weirdly haven't worked with a ton of female directors and her energy is so amazing. And she just makes set like really fun and really interesting and exciting. And we shot it in Providence, Rhode Island, which I'd never been to. And that was really fun. I like to hang out on the campus of Brown. It made me feel smart. Sometimes I pretended I was like a college student, but I wasn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wish I would have gone to an Ivy League school. That would have been fun. But another film. Another, another day, another movie maybe. Um, I'll be a teacher at one. Um, it was really, it was fun to do that movie. And uh, and and Malin Ackerman was so yeah. sweet and cool and like as nice and sweet as she is pretty. And it was a really good time. I really liked that. Well, you have an amazing, well-rounded career. You shift between indie films and mainstream big-budget films. Is there a difference for you, and do you prefer one to the other? Um, I like... I like both for different reasons and there is a big difference. I mean, it's very different when you're doing a big budget movie, you sit around a lot more, you get paid a ton more and, um, you know, you're usually like on location and, and it's just, you know, there's just a lot more people around. There's a lot more food around. 
It's the food, isn't it? It's always comes down to the yeah. food. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but it's fun because there's more money. So you have a little bit more time and you have a little bit more leeway. Like I don't feel like I'm being rushed as much. Mm-hmm. And indie films are fun because, because there's less pe- people and there's less food and you have less time. Like they're both, I don't know. I like them both for the reasons that they're different in a way. Like it's fun to work under pressure and it's fun to like shoot a scene in the rain because it's raining because you have to because you can't shoot it another day you know and like it's fun to not have a trailer because then we're all forced to just like sit together in a circle and and it's fun to be like rushing to make your day and and even if you know I'm sure if I was a director it would be frustrating to like lose certain shots that you want to get but you know, there's like also these weird things that happen where they lie to you, but you're sort of glad they did. Like we have this scene in Jeff who lives at home where the guys have to jump in this, they jump off this bridge into the water, you know, and there's like alligators all over the waters in Louisiana. And so, you know, we're like the water's like, okay, right. There's not like huge alligators in it. Right. And everyone was like, no, no, not, not in this. No, there's definitely, yes. in other bodies of water, but not in this one. So we're shooting the scene and it's really fun. And like one of the crew members like runs up to us and he's like, look, I found this baby gator in the water. And he's like holding this and we're all like, Oh, like, Oh my God, don't tell Ed and Jason until after the day is over. <laughs> but I held a baby alligator. That was awesome. So an actor may lose a limb. Yes. 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 <laughs> But, you know, it's all for art. And that's sure. a really good movie. So I think it'd be worth it. <laughs> well, I want to mention some of your other films. And tell me what comes to mind, all right? Okay. One of my little indie, pin, little indie films I love of yours, The Amateurs. Oh, yeah. That was so cool. Yeah, I love that movie. That was um, another, like, little part in a movie that I got because someone quit or the, uh, another actress, like, dropped out at the last second. And I'd auditioned and I didn't get it and I was bummed. And then the actress who got it decided not to do it. And so then I got it. (laughs) So I was really happy. And, um, and I got to work with Jeff, um, Jeff Bridges, who's, you know, like who doesn't love Jeff Bridges, right? He's amazing. So he's awesome. And that was really cool. And I loved that movie. I was again, like really sorry for the director and for all of us that it didn't become like a big deal. Cause I think it should have. William Hurt's in it too, right? In the amateurs? No. Maybe he's in another one. He was in the village. He's in the village. But this was about making an amateur porn film, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's back to Cheryl on FX. <laughs> yeah. This, um, it's sweet. This, this guy is like really down and out and he's like run out of money and he can't afford to even like give money to his ex-wife or see his son. Yeah. And he has this really crazy idea that he's going to make an amateur porn and sell it on DVD so he can make some money so he can have some money so he can have a better relationship with his son. And, and so that's what he tries to do in, in this little small town. He tries to get all of his friends from the local bar and all the local guys to help him make this movie and and it ends up being really sweet. Yeah, it's a cute film. Yeah. Another one of my favorites, The Great New Wonderful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anybody see that? It's the post, um, September 11th. It's five stories. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, that was one of the first roles that I ever got offered and that was more dramatic. That wasn't um, just like a straight like comedy part. And so mm-hmm. I was really 
excited to do that. And we shot that here. That was like zero dollars and zero cents budget. And it was super fun. We didn't have trailers because we were stealing a lot of our locations. So we had to be like, what? This camera? No, that's that's not a movie camera. Because it really comes down to the Teamsters because they're the ones that find you when you're shooting. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, really? you know, why didn't you hire us and stuff? And that's what I hear because I eavesdrop a lot on set. So... Producers carry a lot of cash in their pockets, by the way. <laughs> Take this and run yeah, away. Yeah. <laughs> then you did Adam Goldberg's, uh, he, I think he wrote and directed it, I Love Your Work. Yeah, yeah. That was, um, so I worked with Adam on this movie called The Hebrew Hammer. Yeah. And um, and that was really fun. And we got along really well. And after The Hebrew Hammer, he was going on to do that movie. And I was like, I want to do it. It shoots in LA. Like, find me a role. And so he did. And that's the kind of thing that you always hope is going to happen when you make friends with someone who's like a filmmaker is that they put you in their movie. And he really did. And it wasn't really a role for me. I ended up playing like Giovanni Ribisi's yeah. assistant. But I was like, well... I'll do that and I'll make it interesting. I'll do something fun. And he kind of gave me like a cool little scene and it, it was like really fun. That's what it should be. You know, we should all be able to like work with our friends and find little things here and there that, that we can put our friends in. And it yeah. just like, it's kind of makes it more of like a theater company or a community. I always thought it'd be fun to make movies the way, the way people have theater companies where you all kind of work together and you have like new people coming in, but you all get to work, play different roles and do different things than you're normally allowed to do yeah peep world oh yeah yeah that was that was a movie that i was i i saw that movie and and i loved the script and i loved making it but i was am i allowed to say i was a little disappointed with how it turned out sure. i because I, I really think that it's it had a good heart and it had like lots of potential but um but that movie uh I loved working with Michael C. Hall and, yeah. and I think that like our our producers like were great and we just you know there was just something missing I don't know what happens but but I really loved that movie and we all worked really hard on it and, and I almost feel like it's there like if they recut it I feel like the movie's there but that's me being really controlling and thinking I know everything which I don't no, but I think that's anything with art. I mean, you, you try to do it, you put it all together, and you hope it comes out the way yeah, it should. Yeah, And then you're like, what is the thing? Like, why didn't it? Like, I wonder that about What Planet Are You From? The Mike Nichols movie I did. When I read that script, I laughed out loud, like, through yeah. the whole thing. And that movie did not work. And I don't understand why. Because you figure it has the cast it has. It has Mike Nichols. It has an amazing screenwriter. It's so funny on the page. What the hell? See, that's why I think the secret, I think it's when it works as opposed to when it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I mean, you hope everything gels, but it doesn't always. Even with shows, plays, musicals, it doesn't happen with that either. Yeah, yeah. You put these ideal teams together, like you said, the best composer, lyricists, the best stars, mm -hmm. the best directors, and they're huge bombs. I know. It doesn't, I just don't understand it. But, you know, I guess everything can't be awesome. Yeah. What Women Want. I love this movie. Oh, yeah. And that was a dramatic role for you. It was the Mel Gibson movie and Helen Hunt. Yes. And I auditioned for that movie, I think, 17 times. That I went in for every role in that movie, except for the daughter and Helen Hunt's role, of course. And I, I like auditioned so many times. And Nancy Myers, the director, kept calling me back and kept calling me back. And not just me. Like, she did this, you know, yeah. she had a bunch of actresses that she liked. And she just kept trying to figure out where to put us. And... 
And um, so I ended up with the role of Aaron, the file clerk, the suicidal file clerk. And and I was shooting that at the same time that I shot the wedding planner. I was working on them simultaneously. And so and, oh. and so Aaron had stringy, straight brown hair. And Penny, the um, crazy assistant to Jennifer Lopez in the wedding planner, it was like a crazy, like over-the-top comedic role. It's like wild, crazy, curly, blonde hair, which was my natural hair at the time. And so I was like going back and forth from being like, with Jennifer Lopez to being like, like this little like sad sack who falls down the stairs all the time and drops her files everywhere she goes. I mean, she's terrible at her job. <laughs> she can't hold on to anything. But um but I loved but I loved doing this movie and I loved playing this character. I thought I felt like she was like such a wallflower and that's kind of how I felt cuz I just you know, it was like a year or two into living in LA and yeah. I felt way more like Aaron. Like I felt like I was just like so nervous all the time everywhere I went I was nervous on set and I was nervous driving in LA even though I was from Detroit where people drive really crazy like it was just a nervous time for me so that role felt really comfortable but it was it was one scene right um, there was like a bunch of scenes in the office that I do where I'm like falling down and he's like overhearing me yeah. going like, if I wasn't even here, like no one would even notice or whatever. Like he overhears me do all this stuff. And then there's like this one scene with yeah. Mel Gibson in my apartment where he saves you. Yeah. Where he comes at the end. And it's actually like kind of the coolest part of the movie. If you yeah. ask me, because that's the moment where he loses his ability to read minds. And so he has to just talk to my character about what she's thinking and what she's feeling. And so he can't just rely on his, you know, superpower. And, and so it's, that's why I think the scene works so well. Yeah. And it's so poignant because he's forced to just listen and communicate with me. What was he like working with? He gets beat up all the time, Mel Gibson. So what was he like working with on that movie? He's pretty great. I mean, he reminded me, he was way nerdier than I expected. Like he must just only watch the History Channel when he's not yeah. working. Cause every day at work, he'd be like, do you know beluga whales? And I'm like, what are you, my dad or something? <laughs> like, <laughs> like he just is like Mr. Science information. Yeah. And like, he's like always talking about like history or some war or like animals or Discovery Channel or whatever. And, and so that was funny and he was eating he was on this like raw diet but not like a raw food diet but he was eating raw meat like literally raw meat every day at lunch he would sit on a picnic table outside his trailer and eat these raw steaks but they were really good steaks of course and like I don't know happy cows but it was pretty crazy he was intense but in a good way like I liked it and and Nancy Myers a director does a lot of takes like a lot and he never lost his patience with her which I was very surprised at because I was like he's a big star and we're doing like 30 takes of this thing and I was a little like really dude but then he was just like totally happy and ready to go again ready to go again like it was it was it was very good for me to see at an early yeah. age and in the beginning of my career to see someone like him so patient and so willing to do the work and never complain. Yeah. At least to me. Well you started talking about the wedding planner. Is that the film where she promised you the Gucci bag? Yes. Where are you yes. get you that Gucci bag? That Gucci bag is coming to the music box theater. We're gonna get really that Gucci bag. I feel like for you. she owes me one. Yeah. But I will say, you know, I saw her a few years ago at like this event and she didn't remember me. And I said, Jennifer, it's Judy Greer. I was in the wedding planner with you. And she was like, Oh my God, that's right. And then she was really nice. But I was like, surely I'll just be like, what's going on? It's been so long. I was sad, but then she did. And then she was nice. And then we hugged and it was fine. And then I remembered that there's like tons of people that I forget. So 
but that on top of the bag, I was a little like, <laughs> all right. All right, we're going to do that, <laughs> Henry's Crying, that little comedy with Keanu Reeves. Yeah. And James Kong. I know, I know. That was a really cool, cool script. I really was happy. And, and that was, um, I loved that script, and I loved that movie, and Keanu was so sweet. It's so cute. Oh, my yeah. God. <gasps> wow, is he cute? Anyway, um, and at the time, I sort of had been playing like the sidekick and the best friend. And so I said to my agent, like, you know, I'm totally happy. I'm not complaining. But if there's like any other kind of roles, I can kind of segue into doing something a little bit different. Um, and then this one came up and I went in and auditioned and Keanu read with me at my audition for this part. And it was really cool that he was there and he was reading and we worked a lot on the scene with the director, um, Malcolm. And so it was really, um, so I was impressed that he did that and that he was excited to like read with actresses. I think yeah. that says a lot. And, um, and he was a producer on the movie too. So he's smart to do that. You know, he should see who he's getting himself into. <laughs> and, um, and so I liked that I got that role and this, this role in love and other drugs kind of at the same time, which really worked out well that I was sort of segueing out of being a sidekick and into being having like these. And, and I said to my agents too, like, I know the parts are going to be smaller and I'm not going to get paid a lot of money, but I want to try to do something a little bit different. So if you can look for that kind of thing, and they totally did. So love and other drugs. I love that film. Yeah, I know. That's a really good story. What was it like working on it? it Intense was film. Yeah, it is. It was really fun. Um, it was, uh, well, it was in Pittsburgh, which I fell in love with Pittsburgh. I think it's like one of the coolest cities. Yeah. And, um, and I don't know. I mean, my role was kind of small, but I liked that it was a period film, but, but like not like I remember the period. So it was really cool to, to like work with Jake Gyllenhaal and it was fun to like, like go back in time a little bit and, and to remember like all this stuff about the nineties and gosh, remember like when Viagra came and anyway, it, it was like, it was fun. And, and Ed Zwick is, is such a great storyteller. And he, I don't know. I really, I liked, I liked working with Jake. I didn't have any scenes with Anne Hathaway, yeah. which was a drag, but we crossed paths a couple times on set. And so that was really fun. Now I can say hi to her and she says hi back. That's great. So I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah. Love happens. Your hair color changed in that film, right? Or no, the, that the was producer? the beginning of me yeah. being a redhead. Yeah. Were you a blonde um, before? I was blonde. Yeah. And Jennifer Aniston, I guess, is blondish, honey colored. And so yeah. they wanted to dye my hair because they didn't want us to have the same color hair. And um, which I thought was weird because I was like, I mean, everyone has this color hair, but whatever. Yeah. I thought it would be fun to change my hair anyhow. And so I did. And it was darker, like a dark reddish brown. And it was really fun. And that movie was cool because, A, I always wanted to work with Jennifer Aniston. And I'd already been best friends with Jennifer Lopez and Jennifer Garner. So I wanted to round off my Jennifer trifecta. Oh. <laughs> so I got to be the best friend of Jennifer Aniston. And it was right before the writer's strike which was awful and devastating and everything changed after that. And, um, and so I was like, this was right around the time 
the first time I said, I kind of don't want to be the best friend anymore. I want to try to do something different. If I even can, I want to explore that. And they were like, awesome. There's going to be a writer's strike and we have this audition for you to be Jennifer Aniston's best friend. I was like, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll go in for that. So I went in and, and I got that part and I was thrilled to be her best friend. <laughs> and everyone else was in LA, like um, on the picket line and I had a job. I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> it was hard. It was a tough time. I'm sure it was here too, but there it was terrible. Oh yeah, it was tough here too. Yeah. Let's talk about your third Jennifer, Jennifer Garner, because it was 13 going on 30, right? Yeah. You became yeah. very friendly with her during yeah, that, right? Yeah, she taught me how to text. So we'll always have that. Yeah, she was it. she was great. She was so she was like a female sort of George Clooney in a way that she is so yeah. happy and positive all the time that you you cannot complain when she's around because she shows up for work at like four in the morning. And she's already worked out, by the way. And she's happy. She's happy to be there. She's happy to be working. She had so much fun doing the movie. And I think for her time, it was great because she'd obviously been on Alias for several mm -hmm. seasons. And she'd done like um, that uh, Ben Affleck, well, back, you know, before they were a, a couple, mm -hmm. um, his action, I forget the name of it. I want to say Red Devil, but that's... Thanks. Thank <laughs> they turned into my mom who's like, Red Devil, what was that? You know? <laughs> yeah. So she'd done Daredevil. Yeah. And so this was a chance for her to be the star of a movie and to be funny. Yeah. Which she is. She's so fun and funny and lighthearted. So that was fun to watch her get to do that. Another fun little movie. Is it Barry Monday? Yeah. With Patrick Wilson and Chloe Sevigny? I know. That was, uh, yes. Barry Monday was an independent movie I did several years ago that okay. um, if you guys haven't seen and you like Patrick Wilson at all, you will die over his performance in this movie. He's so funny. And I got to be really ugly and really crabby and that was fun too <laughs> yeah visioneers i've never seen that movie isn't that crazy i feel terrible saying that I is just, that with zach yes that was zach galifianakis before he was zach galifianakis yeah. like before anyone knew who he was no one could pronounce his name on set it was like what <laughs> who i mean it, he was amazing in the movie and it's a dramatic role for him and and i somehow never got a copy of it and then i i just haven't watched it yeah but I liked making it, and I liked Seattle a lot. So if any of you are from Seattle, it's a fun city. You've done a lot of television. We talked, you know, uh, The Mad Loves, Californication, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Misguided. Do you like the process of television as opposed to film with the whole three-camera format? Um, well... Those the single camera shows you mentioned are kind of like making a movie. Um, mm. The nice thing about television is it's very fast, meaning the turnaround is very fast. So like, it's nice if you shoot something that um, you know it's going to be on the air in a few weeks. So it's kind of cool if you're trying to sort of like generate some excitement about you, you know. Um, and movies take a year, and then you're still like, is it even going to come out? Is it going to be good? Is anyone going to see it? What's going to happen? Um, Am I going to get cut out of it? You know, like I will never know until it comes out. So I think in, that's what's fun about television. And then the fun thing about like four camera shows is that, you know, again, you have an audience, you get like this immediate reaction to you and, and it's fun to have the audience there and have them laughing and being funny is always fun. So they're just different, but I don't have a real preference. Yeah. So it's four cameras now? Um, on like two and a half men, yeah. Really? Those are like four camera sitcoms, yeah. They usually have about four cameras. They have like A, B, C, and X. Because I always think it's because C and D sound very similar. So when the director yells out like, X camera, move for this... 
I think if they were yelling out D or C, both of them would move and they would crash into each other. Interesting. So I know that Desi Arnaz on Isla Lucy had created the whole three camera format. And I thought shows were still doing that. So it's four. Yeah. No, have a try. Go ahead. How's everybody doing? Okay. Having a good time? Thanks. Well, there's a book. I think it's by Robert Edmund Jones. It's, oh, The Dramatic Imagination. Is that your acting book that you use? So tell me what that book is. Anybody know that book? Because I'm fascinated to find out about... It's a really good book. So yeah. those I have two acting books that I love. Although in this play I'm doing with Josh Hamilton, he reads acting books obsessively, he says. And I was like, fuck, I should be doing that. I should totally be reading more acting books. So I think I want to read a bunch more acting books because he's really good. And he yeah. reads a lot of acting books still. But the two I love are The Dramatic Imagination by Robert Edmund Jones. And that was a weird little book that my acting teacher, Rick Murphy, in in college um, told us to read and it's really short and you can read it in like a day, but it, it was interesting cause he, it was the first time I'd sort of understood the, like how theater people, what I, what I took away from the book was that he said that you should never notice one thing, that everything is a part of the whole. And that was interesting to me when I was in theater school, because it was like, you should never, your performance in a perfect production, nothing should stand out. It should be one whole thing. You shouldn't notice a performance or notice the wardrobe or notice the set or the music or the script that you just are moved by it. The, the whole thing as one whole piece of art in its entirety. And so mm -hmm. anytime that something stands out, then he feels like it wasn't perfect, which I really like that idea because it lends itself to like, there's no small parts. There's only small actor, you know, like if you think of it that way, like that acting school at the time I was there, well, at least my class, we were so competitive all the time. So it was like, you, you were always like wanting to be better than the person in your scene. You know, mm -hmm. you want to stand out, you want to show off when really what, what's better to do is to be a part of something that's wonderful, like in its entirety. And that was, that's what I took away from that book and why I really loved it. And I thought that I hoped and wished when I became an actor and was in movies and stuff that movies would be like that, that television shows would be like that, that it wasn't like a star or it wasn't mm. like one specific thing. It was everything. It was like a whole, I mean, there's not a ton of movies like that I can think of that I love so much in their entirety. Like I always comes to mind is like Tootsie. Like you think of Tootsie and you're like, Oh, Dustin Hoffman yeah. is so amazing. Oh, but Bill Murray. Oh my God. But Terry Garr and like, Oh, the story and like every little actor, like everything is exciting about that yeah. movie to me. And, and, and anyway, so that's why I love that book. And the other book I love is true and false by David Mamet, which a lot of people hate. And I totally get it because he's kind of like, just learn your lines and show up for work. But I kind of feel like, <laughs> I kind of feel like he's right. Like <laughs> he, you know, he said, and I haven't read that book in a few years, but I remember him saying like, learn your lines, show up for work and tell the truth and yeah. be in good shape so that you can physically do your job. So if you like trip on stage, you don't like, hurt yourself forever because you're in good shape and I was like that's, that's so simple and if you just really like take away like all the like little bits and tips and things that you think you have to do all the time like if you really just do that like acting can be actually kind of easy I think yeah I think so if you had your choice of roles what would you like to do that you've not done yet mm. is there a certain style or a genre something you'd like to tackle mm, I kind of would like to not be the best friend, but like be the girl in the romantic comedy once. 
I think that would be really fun. I I don't know. I've played so many famous people's best friends yeah. that I'm not like desperate to be famous, but I would like a shot at like, you know, my own. I mean, what actress doesn't want like their own Annie Hall or when Harry met Sally or something like that, you know? Yeah. I love to try something like that, but we'll see. Okay. I might have to just write it myself. You never know. Get one of your <laughs> friends to produce and wear that blue coat. Well, obviously, <laughs> I'll be wearing the blue coat. <laughs> um, so much of your on-screen work is in romantic comedies. Is there something you'd want to change about that genre? I mean, we have a lot of them. They're really great, like these bridesmaids, all these kind of types of those movies. Um I think it's happening so super slowly, but anyone who does a lot of comedy, I think, will agree with me that I think it's like it's really hard to be it's hard to be funny and it's hard to get the jokes to land and it's hard. It's a hard genre to do well. Yeah. And, and so why in all these award shows are they never recognized? You know, like why do you have to be playing a historical character or mm-hmm. be like mentally disabled or crying in order to get sort of recognized for your performances? I mean, not to be a complainer, but right. Like when you're doing comedies, it's like you, so it was cool. Bridesmaids was nominated for yeah. best screenplay and that was awesome. And I was so excited for them and that Melissa McCarthy was nominated, you know, like that is, it's starting to happen, yes. but that's, that's something I would like to see happen more often is that like the comedies get recognized more. Yeah, sure. We have a few questions from the audience that I'd like to um, ask you. Um, if you could offer one tip from how to be amazing at voiceovers, what would it be? Wow. Um, I guess one tip, how to be a me. Uh, I would think to just, um, this is the dumbest thing I'll ever say, but I think to have fun, I think when you're having fun and you're happy when you're in the booth, it makes a huge difference and to try a million different things while you're in there. So that's two tips, but the most important thing is having fun. Cause I can always tell when I go in for Archer, if I'm in a bad mood, it's not as good. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I mean, you just have to have a lot of energy, even if your character or the copy that you're doing for a commercial or whatever is like not an energetic, positive character. It's still like that. That is important. Having that life behind the words. Sure. Another question is, having worked professionally in the three major mediums of acting, would you please speak on the transition from the fervent times, actually getting responses from casting directors, having your agent book you, and having a life in between jobs? Um, <clears throat> can I read that? Yeah. I think I need to. I like this. Who's VB? Really nice. Cool. Okay. Hi. <laughs> um, okay. Having worked. Okay. Okay. Uh, having worked professionally in the three major mediums of acting, would you please speak on the transition from fervent times? So, getting responses from casting directors. So, um, well, I'm gonna answer, but then tell me if I'm answering or if I'm not. Okay. So, I think that. In the beginning, I had no life between jobs and I didn't do anything but act or try to audition. And I was lucky and I got a ton of auditions because I just moved to LA from Chicago. And that was like strangely interesting to casting directors because I wasn't like an LA girl. I was a Chicago actress. So um, they thought that was like somewhat exotic. And, and I never tried to be anything but a Midwestern me. Like I never tried to be like, I never really tried to act like anything but what I was. So 
even if I wasn't right for a role, I didn't try to change myself. I just tried to be myself. I guess what I'm saying is I didn't act a lot. I just tried to act like myself, but just read the words that were on the page in front of me. And so in the beginning, I just acted and I auditioned, auditioned. I would go on like five crappy auditions a day. Like I didn't care. I was changing in my car. I was, you know, like had a Thomas guy trying to figure out where to drive in LA and, and I didn't have a lot left over after that. And, and then I started to feel like I was becoming boring because I didn't have anything else going on. So then (laughs) I decided to learn how to knit and I joined a book club (laughs) and I tried to take classes at, um, UCLA extension in California has like if you're just auditing a class, it was like $200 for like a semester of a cool class. And they just offered so many different things. So I was getting out of my acting head and trying to meet people and make friends and do things that weren't acting. And then I think I got more interesting as a person. And then I had another like phase of like another level to bring to other characters, you know? And, and I, and I worked really hard at getting good feedback from my auditions in the beginning. Like I, I tried so hard to, like I said earlier, just to make every audition good so that the feedback was always good so that the casting directors would always bring me back. I didn't like, I know some actors like send thank you notes to casting directors and bouquets of flowers or cupcakes or whatever. I've never done that. And I always want to, I still want to, but I always forget or I just (laughs) don't make time or I get cheap about it or something. Like, I don't think you have to do that. I didn't do that. I just tried to always be nice. And I tried to always be prepared and I tried to just always give a really good audition and, and the feedback was good. And is that like an answer to your question? Okay, good. You know, you sort of talk about auditions. The next question is how do you prepare for auditions? What is the best thing to do? Mm, I, uh, I always wear a nice outfit and I always do my hair and makeup. And, and I, like I said earlier, I did, I don't, often memorize my lines. I've been trying to more lately just because I've been actually working on my auditions more lately. I've been trying and, and, and luckily my auditions lately are getting better and better. I don't mean my actual auditions. I mean, the roles I'm going in for are getting better and better. So I feel like I need to like step it up. Um, and, and also, you know, now people kind of know who I am. So it's like, I have more to lose in a way. Like I want to go in and have a good audition because people like know my name and recognize me from a movie or something. But, um, I see a lot of girls so different with boys. You guys have it so much different, but like I see a lot of girls sometimes. And I actually did a pilot last pilot season where I cast roles. So I was like in the casting room Mm -hmm. and reading with people and watching tapes. And I couldn't believe like how many people went into auditions who didn't have like their hair done and didn't have makeup on and like, didn't have like a pressed shirt and maybe I'm old fashioned, but it made a difference. Like, I think it really like it, it speaks to me. It like seeing the actors like who were really put together, I thought made a, it made a big difference. It's like dress for success. Is it? Yeah. I like mean, it just, kind yeah, of is. You feel better. I do. I feel like at least when I walk in the room and I don't wear a costume, yeah. but if I'm playing a lawyer, I wear like what is in my closet that I would wear if I was a lawyer, you know, like I, but I think it does make a difference. Is there a mindset like right before you walk through that door when I'm sure everyone's freaking the most when they they call your name and you've got to go in, Mm -hmm. what mindset, where should the mind be? 
Um, I don't know. I think that's different for everyone. I'm usually a few minutes late. So usually my mindset is like a swear word and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And, um, but I, I, I had a, like a voice and speech teacher in college say that like, when you're nervous, you should just say you're nervous. And that's always worked really well for me is just coming in and saying like, I'm really nervous. And then the people are always like, Oh, you shouldn't be nervous. And I'm like, okay, all right. Just be honest. Yeah. Like I just say that and it's always sort of worked really well, but, um, but you have to mean it because I think if you say it and then it can get awkward and people also, if you're auditioning for like a small part, like you can't really say that because yeah. people don't really give a shit. Like they just like, <laughs> they like, they're like, well then maybe you shouldn't be an actor is like what they're, you know, like if you're so nervous at an audition, like it's kind of like more if you're, if it's like a more substantial role yeah. and you, you know, you're going to kind of like work on it a little bit. But someone also gave me a really good piece of advice about auditioning. And this was also in college. I'm so glad I went to college now. Um, <laughs> but they said, um, the the director and the casting director, I'm sure you guys have all heard this, but they want you to get the part. They want it to be you. They want you to solve their problem today. Their problem is that they need to cast this role mm-hmm. and they want you to be good at it. Like so many times I think we walk into a room thinking like they're like this, like prove yourself, but they're like, please, please make this stop. If you do this good, I don't have to sit in this room and be hungry anymore. (laughs) But I will tell you that I went to lunch. This was a couple years ago with this woman who was like head of casting at a studio. And I'm not going to say where, because she still works there. And she had two glasses of wine at lunch. (laughs) And I was like, she ordered one, which I'm totally cool with. Have a glass of wine at lunch. I think it's awesome. But then she was like, oh, I'm getting another one. And I was like, oh, yeah. And she was like, I just have a session after this. And I was like, what? <laughs> like she ha- she was like, it was me and an executive <laughs> and her, the casting woman. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, I just have a session. Like, I'm probably going in for you like next week on this session. And you're having two glasses of wine and you don't even care at all. Like, that's what I'm getting when I walk in the room. Right? Like, that's so annoying. I was, I said, like, you need, well, I didn't say it thinking, like, consider your audience. Like, that's, I'm an actor, you know? So then sometimes stuff like that, instead of making, letting it make me angry, it kind of is like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what that story means, but it was kind of, it made me feel less nervous for a little while about going into rooms. The casting directors have issues too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, clearly she was like, yeah. She right. does. It must be fun for you to go to one of her movies and look at the people she's cast and say, this sucks, mm-hmm. you know, or something like that, or this is great. Yeah. Or like, I guess like, you know, thank God that she didn't have so much wine that day that she was like new to cast this wonderful actor. Totally. Um, do you set goals for your career and can you give us examples of goals you have set and how you went about achieving them? Well, I set, um, <laughs> I set financial goals for myself yeah. more just, just like to, pay the bills and stuff like I you know keep track obviously we all do have to do that and so I think like well you know this year I made like x amount of dollars which was good so next year I don't need to make x amount of dollars so I can say like I was saying before like I can ask my agent like can you look for like some smaller parts and movies that don't pay as much but that are a little bit different can we try that for this year Mm -hmm. because I can kind of like make it up so that's kind of what I do like I have those goals set. And I do have like some ideas about the future, about like things I want to try that aren't acting, but, um, 
But for the most part, it usually comes down to like, I've been playing the best friend a lot and I don't really want to do that. Or like, I want to be in a big budget movie. Like my new thing is that I really want to be in an action movie because I've never been in just like a straight up action movie. You'd be great. You're fit for it. Play some villainess. I don't see myself having a lot of stunts, but like... I do want to run really fast. (laughs) My goal is, and I was specific with my agent, I want to be running fast and I want someone to be shooting at me towards me while I'm running. Even if that's my only scene in the movie, I'm down. I will do it. But like a Jason Bourne movie, perhaps, or a Bond or something. Like I don't have to be a great Bond girl, right? I could also maybe like work in an office of the action man's like office or be on a phone call while he's while he's running and maybe it's stressful for me. I feel like a real life Cheryl, (laughs) a live action Cheryl. I mean, that would be really cool. As long as I get to run really fast once. All right, we'll get you a roll. We'll get you running. You received the John Cassavetes Independent Spirit Award from the Denver Film Festival. Yeah. Really amazing. <laughs> you was. were the first woman to win that award. What did this mean to you? Well, it was like the first real award that just I've gotten. Um, mm-hmm. I've been in, in things that have gotten awards, but it was really, it was a really cool, it was a very big honor and it was a really it was a really cool night too. Like it was just fun. They made this movie clip movie of like all my, it made me feel like, wait, how old am I? And how long have I been working? Like seeing all these different clips and, and, and things from my career. But, um, but it was really cool to get an award and to get recognized. And, and especially like in a place like Denver, because, because I didn't know that, they cared about some of the stuff that I did. And so it was like, really, it was cool. It was like real people who like, just like movies and like television. And, and it wasn't, you know, it's, it wasn't for any reason except for that they liked me. So that meant a lot. I loved his work, John Cassavetes. Well, yeah, I mean, totally. One of the (laughs) finest actors, directors, his son, his wife, Jenna Rollins. I mean, brilliant stuff. And really like in a way, one of the fathers of independent film and, and, you know, like having like so much control over, over his art was, it's been so influential. What does the award look like? It's like a big giant piece of ice is sort of what it looks like. It's on my bookshelf um, next to a statue of a dolphin and um, a little puppet from this other show I was a voice on called um, Glenn... Oh, crap. I forgot it. DDS. Uh, it was on Nick at Night, and it was really good. Aww. And it got canceled. But it was claymation, which is very expensive. But you got the puppet. I have my puppet. I love Wendy. it. Wendy. My final question is, Glenn what Martin advice? DDS. Sorry. We, we, what's it called? Glenn Martin DDS. Is it on DVD? I think so, yeah. It's okay. really good. It was too good, actually, for kids. It was a little too... Adulty for kids. So they can move it to Comedy Central or That's what we were FX. trying to do with it. Yeah, we thought maybe it'd be better on a network like that. But again, it was really expensive to make because it was stop motion. They did it in Toronto. And anyway, but I had my puppet. But they told me not to leave it in the sunshine. Otherwise, she would melt. And is she anywhere near the sun? No, no. She's up high away from the sun. So she's in one piece. Yeah, she's Perfect. fine. My final question is, what advice would you give to someone starting out in the business? Hmm... 
I think my answer to that question would change every day of my life. But Mm -hmm. today I would say to have a fun life outside of the business that I think has made the most difference for me because, and, and what I've observed the most in, in people I've been around is like the people who, who don't have a lot going on outside of their career are to me the most boring people I meet Mm -hmm. and, and, and don't, their characters start to sort of mold all into just one character all the time, which if you love that character is awesome. And oftentimes we do, but sometimes it's just more fun to have a lot of other stuff going on. And then when you don't get the part or it doesn't go well, you have like more, you know, you have like more to draw from for the next time. And you don't, it's not like all about this one role or this one job or this one audition. But I love that you said that, you know, be nice to everybody on a set too, like George Clooney, what you've learned from these people also. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Being nice is so awesome and it goes a long way and people actually do want to work with you again. If you're nice and you're easy to be around and, and you're like, you're fun and you're funny and you're positive. Cause when you're working with someone who's like, it's cold, why are we even here? It's so cold outside. I didn't even know we were going to be shooting this scene tonight and it's so cold. It's like, I'm thinking of someone specific right now, by the way. She was real irritating. I was like, why'd you even do this? They're not paying any of us. Like, And she just complained all night long. It sounds like that actress in the Three Kings van that was going back to the airport. Yes, it was a different actress. But yes, it was very similar. She was just like, anyway. So it's like an actress who was nominated for an Academy Award. And she was like, can we play 20 questions? Nope. Okay. Well, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. This has been so great for spending this afternoon with us. Thank you guys. Thanks for coming. And if you haven't seen her, you've got to go to the music box theater. It is one of the funniest comedies you will see on Broadway to watch this woman work with this incredible cast. Like I said, great holiday gift. See a show. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the sag After Foundation's Conversations podcast. If you appreciated what you heard, please support us with a review or donation and reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SAG-AFTRA-FOUND. We'd love to hear from you.